0: To me, the insanity that blows my mind is a person who's completely dry from alcohol, going to meetings all of the time, who is not working the 12 steps from the big book And I went to AA from 1987 to 1993, was an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous, relapsing every three to four months, and never worked the 12 steps from the big book. And it did not even occur to me that that could be the problem until the day I got sober.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak my name is john m i am an alcoholic and we are glad you are all here especially newcomers newcomers that is both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast sober speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. La Cucharacha, 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 La la Cucharacha. Now you can't see me, but I am. Swinging my hips, gang. Eh, swinging may be a little uh, overstated, but nonetheless, I'm moving my hips. I don't know why, but once again, that particular song came to my head as I began to record. So greetings, if if you're here for the first time. I'm so sorry. It goes uh, downhill from here. I I, I guess downhill is the way you phrase that. In other words, it it gets it gets better because I will be leaving very soon, and you'll get to hear our wonderful guest, Mr. David G. But greetings from Studio AA. Where are we? Deep in the heart of Texas. And that was the voice of my friend, Mr. David G., that you heard at the beginning of this here episode, and you will be hearing so much more from him in un momento. But first things first, this here episode is brought to you by Lori and Jim Jim S., my friend Jim S., pray for my friend Jim S., he just went through a big surgery, but anyway, Lori and Jim and Brian and Idaliza and David and Kate and Marie, and what you may ask, did these folks do, Lori and Jim S. and Brian and Idaliza and David and Kate and Marie, well, they went to our website www.soberspeak.com and they clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a a contribution so thank you so much Lori and jim s and brian and I, Lisa and david and kate and marie this here episode is going right out to ewan's and i want to read a little note that Lori actually wrote with her contribution Um, because anyway, you'll see why I want to read it. She says, John, sober speak is a part of my sobriety plan. I look forward to hearing a new episode every Friday night and listen when I can. This is the part really I wanted you to hear. I was really sorry to hear about Charlie P recently and would love to make this donation in his honor. I hope that you're having a great summer with your family. Please know that you work, that the work that you do is certainly making a big difference in my life. Warmest regards, Lori. And so the main piece I wanted to do with them, first of all, thank you, Lori. Uh, But I wanted you to hear that about Charlie P and about how this particular donation is in his honor. So thank you so much, Lori, for writing in. I appreciate you. And, I wrote you back, you know, I never know when I'm going to receive these notes. And, you know, I, I, you know, I come on here, I'd be silly and stuff, but, you know, I have really down days sometimes. And I have really, uh, I struggle just like everyone else, right? Like, like we all struggle. And this came in at a particular moment when I was going through a, oh, just a big struggle for me personally. And uh, it just helped to lift my spirits. And it kind of got me back on track and helped me to remember, you know, why why we're all here, right? To hopefully contribute to someone else's life in some form or fashion. And so anytime I get these uh, emails from you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm so appreciative of it. So thank you for adding that little note with your contribution, Laurie. I appreciate it. All right. So this here, oh, by the way, I also want to let you know, I I remember reading, uh, okay, so my friend Bill C., sends out a daily email. And if you're not on that, oh gosh, I'm doing this from memory. I wasn't prepared. It is, I think it's Bill C at kitchentableaa.com. Gosh, I hope I got that right. Uh, and he he sends out a, uh, a daily email and you, you can just write to him. He'll put you on it. If I got the wrong email by chance, just send me an email, John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com and I will pass your note on to Bill and he'll get you on his list. It's, it's, a, great, uh, it's a great resource for sobriety. But anyway, he sent one out like... Uh, I I think it was last week sometime, but in it he had one of the quotes he had. He always puts a quote from like the big book or the 12 and 12 or some AA literature. Then he put some other quotes from other literature. And one of them was from Scott Peck's uh, book. Oh, See, I'm blanking on it. I I can't remember the name of the book right now. Uh, Oh, oh, The Road Less Traveled. And the first line in uh, the first sentence, I should say, in Scott Peck's Peck's book, The Road Less Travel, is life is difficult. And then he goes on to basically explain that that, uh, we all have, uh, life is always difficult. And as soon as we can accept that life is difficult, it makes it much more or less difficult. He says in there, like, life is not difficult anymore. And I don't believe that part, but I believe that it can help to relieve me, John M., from the bondage of self. But anyway, uh, I don't know. That just came to mind. All right. Now, on to what everybody is here to listen about. And that is Mr. David, not about, listen to, I'm sorry, uh, but the subject is what we're going to, anyway, David G, this is another episode from David G. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you will know that uh, David G is a regular here. And this one is called The Definition of Insanity. And here's the deal. I know there's a lot of definition of insanity that, that, uh, that gets talked about, but this one is A little different, right? There's a different spin that David puts on the definition of insanity. We discuss, uh, David's been speaking at several conferences lately and what that's like. We discuss David's family life, uh, being appropriate, and what that means. We discuss David's business life, including his management of two sober houses, uh, parenting, uh, the instructions for getting sober laid out in the big book. And we also talk about an upcoming conference where David will be the Saturday night speaker. It's a miracles at late at Lake Mer- excuse me, miracles at Lake Murray. It's in Oklahoma. And I'll put that link in the show notes for you as long as well as a link to David's uh, recovery houses, uh, in the show notes and guess what folks we have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this one so enjoy david um and i will give you the listener feedback at the end yeah that's what we're gonna do bye-bye okay everybody so today we are back on the mic with the one and only a fan favorite Mr. David G. So David G, please go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date, if you wish, and tell people where you reside in this great land of ours, please.
0: All right. So I'm David. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I've been sober since September 15th of 1993, live out in Frisco, Texas, about half a mile from John. And um, go to the Frisco Group and Shivering Denizens and Fourth Dimension. We've we've blossomed in Frisco for over the past few years.
1: That's right. Um, so we decided to get together to record today, and, I, and I'm so glad we have. It's been a while since we've been able to to catch up, at least on the mic. Uh, we catch up uh, when we see each other in meetings and on the phone and text and all sort of that, all, all those sorts of things. But I wanted to get together with you today. And first of all, I just want to ask you some general questions about your life. Uh, There may be people who have not heard you on the podcast before. Maybe this is their first time catching up with you. Uh, There may be others who just are just curious about. Uh, like what you do when you're not on fire for Alcoholics Anonymous uh, because you're definitely on fire. Oh, and I also wanted to ask you about this. You recently got back from a trip to New Orleans. Yep. And you were able, to, and you were the, I guess, the Saturday night speaker there.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Really, really New Orleans-y. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it was called the Big Deep South. Uh, outside of New Orleans in Kenner, and uh, the one thing I'll tell you that is different than anything that I've ever seen, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen, is before the speaking meeting that I was the speaker at, they played like a Mardi Gras band marching around the auditorium (laughs) that had probably six or seven hundred people in A New Orleans conga line waving (laughs) flags and banners and dancing. For no less than a half an hour. When they finally sat down to have the actual meeting, everyone was sweating and laughing. It was the energy and the vibe in New Orleans is like no other place in the world. I had such a good time.
1: Oh, that's great! And I think the guy found you through listening to you yes. on the podcast. Am I right? Yep. And I'm sorry, what is, I can't remember his name what was Charles. Name? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: Charles. Charles. We ended up being very good friends at that thing. You know, he was a little worried that I might. Overdo the drug stuff, and 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 we talked about it a lot. And I think I kept it under wraps. Um, but after it was over, he uh, we really acknowledged like some genuine appreciation for each other. It was nice.
1: Yeah. Well, he sent me an email after you had shared and expressing his gratitude for you and your share. And so, and I and I want to talk about that a little bit. That's very interesting about. How, okay, when you go out on the circuit, so to speak, and you're doing AA conferences, there are conferences that will. Uh, suggest that you don't go too deep into particular topics, because, uh, right. which is interesting, right? Every group is autonomous. Every yep. conference is autonomous. And, you know, you try best to respect their wishes. I'm sure there have been
0: conferences before where people go off the rails and they do not appreciate Oh, it. my gosh. I was at World in San Antonio, and it was awesome. But I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what some of the people are thinking because they had a speaker at the opening event who went way into drug use and stuff and I was like I just wondered you know it didn't obviously it doesn't bother me it's like speaking directly to me right yeah. but I do know that when you go speak of these things and I guess the kind of choices is, is either I'm going to respect that these are what these people would like Or I'm gonna say, hey, you know what? I'm not able to do that. And I I don't think it's necessary because, you know, when I'm at anything like this, talking about drugs or anything that someone else finds inappropriate in terms of acting out really isn't the issue to me. The issue is talking about, you know, the steps and finding a relationship with the higher power through the relationship with our sponsor and you know, blah, 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 that all this stuff that is about recovery, that's really what I want to talk about. So I did not go off. I I tried really hard and I don't know if I was being a little tongue in cheek because I kept referring to any drug use and some of the stories that I just can't leave out because they're about when I had my spiritual awakening and, and found the, the big book and, on, and the steps. And I would refer to them like Bill did as high powered sedatives. And uh, when you're talking about crack and acid, it's not necessarily high powered sedative, doesn't necessarily cover what you're saying. Um, but it worked. It worked. And it was a good time for sure. People, I think, I think people enjoyed it. And I know that it was when it was over, I felt like closer to all the people in the room. And it was, it was pretty cool.
1: I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Uh, yeah, his, you know, it kind of reminds me about when you go to various AA groups. At least we have them down here. Uh, well, I, well, I've actually I've been to them up in uh, 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 other places as well. Like, like for example, I went I went to Chicago. I was in Chicago once at a place called the Mustard Seed Group. Mm-hmm. It's a famous group. There. Oh yeah, I've been there and they read something on the front end about what is called street language right and i remember there was somebody in that meeting who used some sort of profanity you can't even remember what they said and people shouted them down oh yeah you go, whoa whoa whoa, whoa. You, you can't say that here yeah. so it's just about respecting the culture and the autonomy of that group or that conference and you know in, in our group as you know people Use f right. bombs on a regular basis, right? Yep. And uh, and and that's that's not either good or bad. It's just how people communicate. But there are groups who want to uh, definitely
0: limit that. So that reminds me of something funny. So I, so I'm going to be a parent for the rest of my life. So my children, I have five. Children, people who call me dad. Um, and so I have a seven year old, an eight year old, a 14 year old, a 27 year old, and a 29 year old. Okay. So just real quick before you go okay. on and two grandchildren and
1: two grandchildren. So, yes. and to me, it's that that's that's very interesting about how you have a, not accumulated, but the, all of that has happened while you're in sobriety and yes. in different ways. Yes. And uh, since I've
0: known you. <laughs> Meeting true. you has gotten me more children, John.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so the, why don't you tell people just real quickly how you came, not came across, how, how all five of those children came Okay, law. so
0: Seth and Libby are the oldest ones, and they are my biological children, um, for lack of better words. Um, had those in early recovery, <clears throat> anyone who knows my story knows that my first wife uh, was pregnant when we got married with my daughter, Houston. And um, and so then we had Seth, and we had a great family. Uh, uh, still do, in a different way, but we still have a very great family. Um, and then... Most people know that my sponsor passed away, Clovis, and when my sponsor passed away, his son, Jack, uh, needed someone to help him because his mother was not doing well at the time. She's doing great now, but at the time, she wasn't, and it was either we stepped up to the plate or he was going to end up in the system, which in Texas is a not a good system, and so we adopted Jack when he was five, and he's now 14.
1: Wow, he's 14, um, he's 14 just
0: turned, just turned, and... Um, and so then um, I remarried after uh, Teresa and I uh, divorced uh, about seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that, seven years ago, and met Sarah maybe maybe a year after that. And uh, we started to date, and she had two small children, and we ended up getting married a year or two later. And so that's, that's Pax and Ben, and they're the little guys. So anyway, so I've had a lot of opportunity to deal with being appropriate in public, because we are not super appropriate at home. It is not unusual for me to blurt out an F-bomb or, you know, not being mean, just like part of the vernacular, you know, it's the way I talk and I try, uh, but not hard enough not to do that around the kids. So my kids, my grandkids, my daughter is as sweet as can be. But she's apt to drop an F-bomb as part of her just language. And so my grandkids, same thing. We have had to teach these kids, you know, it's one thing for us to be together as a family. And no, we don't want you dropping F-bombs at home, but we know you know these words. So, um, you know, you need to understand kind of the philosophy of there are times that it's okay if you're with your friends and you're alone. and But if you're at school, in class, or you're at church, or you're, in public, you know, you need to be able to filter what you say and be appropriate, and I've always compared it to being naked. And that is with my kids, you know. I've I've said, "Listen, it's okay to be naked when you're in the bathroom or taking a bath or or even sometimes in front of your family under very unusual circumstances you may find yourself naked, but you don't want to be naked at school in the lunchroom." And so it's the same thing with cussing. You need to know when it's okay to cuss and when it's not okay to cuss, and it depends on the situation that you're in. And that's me. It's just the basic maturity 101 in recovery. Yeah, at the Frisco group, people cuss a little bit. Not tons, but you know, some people a lot, but most people don't really cuss much. But even our elders will blurt off uh, a cuss word sometimes, and it's not like, oh, oh, we can't believe he said that, right? But at some groups, they do not want that as part of their group. And when you go to those groups, I think it's super important to do my very best to respect that. You know, I spoke at the Pacific Group uh, in California. I did it in a Zoom meeting. Tons of people there. It was a little... It was just a normal meeting for them. And there was like 350 people on the Zoom meeting. Wow. And they instructed me, you know, we do not swear in our meetings. And I think I said jackass or I was acting like an asshole. And in my ear, they had some way that they could talk to me. And someone said in my ear while I'm in mid-share, no cussing, please. <laughs> now, I don't think anyone else heard it Then say that to me. Oh, you know what? It came up in the chat it popped up in a private chat to me no cussing please and you know i thought to myself you know david you can do this you're 55 years old now you can speak to a broad group of people and not use foul language
1: <laughs> that's great i didn't know you'd spoken at the pacific group that's fantastic it's a that's for those who don't know. That's Clancy. Yeah, it's a big group in California. Yeah, very yeah.
0: famous. There was a bunch of famous people on the thing. I was doing my best not to go through the pages and pick out the people who I knew from the public <laughs> eye, but there are a lot of people there that uh, you know are famous for a lot of different reasons: yeah. athletes and actors and musicians. It's a pretty, it's an interesting place to speak.
1: And just real quickly, you had mentioned right when you got here that uh, I guess there was a, a a little bit of a struggle for your time today. Like, in other words,
0: your choice was either come over here and record with me or... Well, I didn't know that you needed me. When we left the meeting, we went to a noon meeting together and you didn't say anything. And so I thought, well, I guess the person he had scheduled, because this is just a fill-in, kind of. I mean, John and I talk all the time anyway. Um, but my wife had asked me if I wanted to go to get a pedicure with one of her girlfriends in the program. And it's not that I don't want to get a pedicure. I mean, my feet could definitely use a pedicure, but I just kind of felt like that was their time. And I'd be like the third wheel dude sitting there getting my feet rubbed. And I just told them, y'all go ahead. It was an, it was in God's will because not five minutes after Sarah left to go meet Katie, uh, you texted me, Hey, can you still do it or do you want to? So yeah. it worked out perfect.
1: Yeah. It was, uh, uh, and basically I just got caught up with some other people after the meeting and then yeah. I looked up and you were gone and no big deal, but, and, but mention the person that she went to go get Oh, her. Katie
0: teeth. She's, she's been on the podcast. So yeah. it was my wife, Sarah. So yeah, we're all t- alumni. <laughs> <laughs> we don't sit around and talk about that during pedicures. Although I don't really know what they talk about during pedicures cause I have not gone. <laughs>
1: You know, I've never gotten a pedicure. Oh, in my good, life. Yeah, you know. yeah, I, I hear. It's from- a
0: kind of a personal thing to me, someone digging this gross stuff out of your toes. <laughs> Maybe with women their feet are so much prettier than ours. They like to do it communally. But for me, if I'm gonna have someone digging in my toes, I kinda wanna do it solo.
1: <laughs> oh okay. All right so so all right so maybe you know i know i have people who listen to the podcast every once and i see these posts on facebook or wherever uh and they'll say i've been listening for 15 minutes so far no solution and i'm like i don't know what to tell you buddy (laughs) what are they going to say about this we're talking about
0: pedicures
1: (laughs) that's what i mean
0: i'm sure at least they can learn something about knowing where to be naked (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> What's more spiritual than that? It's true. <laughs> Especially for people like us.
1: All right, so I'm trying to remember, oh, when you were talking today during the meeting, gosh, the subject was, uh and I remember thinking, man, and that's that's the thing with you, David. I wish that, and it's part of why I started this podcast is I would hear like you share in a meeting and I think, you know, we, these 30, 40, 50 people in this room get to hear what David is saying, but the the other people out there have, have no, I mean, they may not have this kind of, and I mean this in a, a complimentary way, David, the, the quality of sobriety that maybe we have here in Frisco
0: and, and so. Or just I, the personalities.
1: Yeah, that, that's
0: true. You know, because I go to meetings because I travel for a living and I'll hear people share in meetings. And, you know, I always enjoy going to meetings. Even a bad quote unquote meeting can be a good meeting for me because I can become grateful for how positive and and solution oriented the groups that I get to go to practically every day are. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say we're better than them. It's just a different experience Mm -hmm. to kind of hear people talking about almost arguing about stuff and that kind of thing. And I've been to meetings like that, but I'll go to meetings some. Sometimes and I'll hear two or three people share and I'll be like, wow, I wish I could go to meetings with them more, you know, because whatever they said is something that I had not thought of. Resonating. That's the big deal for me at a meetings. I mean, when obviously my whole life, I've always thought the cool people were the ones that I agreed with or that I got what they were saying. And what I realized more and more is that the people who help me the most are the people that think differently than me, you know? And and I get that at meetings. And I hope that I do that. Like it was burning desire today. And you won't hear me share often during burning desires because I talk a lot in meetings and I feel like, you know what, David, you talk too much. Shut up. Um, But sometimes when I'm in a meeting, it'll go through the meeting. And what's on my mind, no one else shares. And that is when I'll share during Burning Desires, or if they're like today, it was like 10 seconds where no one said anything. And I did have something on my mind about how we aren't people who have just been happy-go-lucky people our whole lives. We're not people who when I went to first grade, I wanted to join in and I wanted to volunteer and at my first school dance, I couldn't wait to run across the room and ask the girl to dance with me. And I couldn't wait, you know, it wasn't like that for me. I was always a little bit standoffish, always anxious, would almost feel myself sometimes socially paralyzed to even begin to talk with people, you know? Much less participate in stuff. When I saw the happy people, the successful people, the people who seemed like socially to get it, I couldn't relate to them. I was—I don't know if I was jealous of them. I don't know what it was. I just felt different than those people. And it's one of the things that alcohol solved for me. No, I didn't act like the healthy, happy person, but I got to be the life of the party. I got to go and ask that girl to dance, and dance all night, and be sweaty, and end up kissing the pretty girl in the room, and all the stuff that seemed like what I wanted from life was all facilitated by alcohol and so when we're sitting in a meeting and we're talking about spirituality and happiness and internal well-being those types of platitudes those are the very things that when i was pre-alcohol I couldn't connect with. I didn't know how to connect with. I would leave church and people would be so happy. And I was just glad it was over, you know? And I didn't ever connect with the happiness other people had. Now, occasionally, I would hear a beautiful rendition of the Hallelujah Chorus on Easter, and it was so incredible, the voices and how Handel wrote things, like the artistry of the event. Or I would hear speakers, this it's very interesting. I grew up at Lover's Lane Church. And Lover's Lane Church was started by a minister named Tom Shipp. And I didn't know what it meant to be a recovering alcoholic, but he was a recovering alcoholic, and I knew it because my mom worked at the church. And I think everyone there probably knew he was a recovering alcoholic. It wasn't a secret. But the crazy thing about it, I didn't even understand what a recovering alcoholic was. And yet, when I'm five, six, seven, eight years old when he's still alive. He died of a massive heart attack when I was very young. And I remember hearing his sermons and getting his jokes and understanding like 20-minute sermon and I'm gripped during the sermon. And the crazy thing is, is he was a recovering alcoholic and I was definitely an alcoholic in the making. So I'll shut up in a second. But the, the idea of the meeting today, that these principles and Alcoholics Anonymous are our roadmap, our instructions, whatever you call it, to find that sense of well-being that I never was able to have. What I really relate to in the meeting is how hard it is for everyone else in the meeting, just like me, to maintain just a level of happiness where they don't need to drink every day. And sometimes it's way better than that, right? But at the very base level of my recovery, I need to feel good enough in my own skin that I don't need a drink to anesthetize the way I feel. And that's what the meeting was about today.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and uh, Sarah actually chaired the meeting. She brought up a good topic. And uh, uh, part, of what she, part of what she read during the beginning of it is that the, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. So when, when, you, when you hear that particular phrase from the big book, for those yep. who don't know, the spiritual life is not a theory we have to live it. I I think you explained part of it there, but do you have any other thoughts on that?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. So I came to AA for many years and I heard people talking about spiritual awakening, psychic change, you know, these, I I mean, I, I can read. I didn't read very much, but I am capable of it. And I certainly speak English and I would hear these people talking about this stuff and it was not connecting with me. And I think the biggest reason that it didn't connect with me is I never tried to find out what it was that they were doing that helped them feel this way. And so I came to AA for many years, did my 90 and 90 and 90 and 90, you know, just over and over again, relapsing every two, three, four, five months and not really understanding what was going on in the meeting because the people who were truly happy in the meetings were the people that I could relate to the least, And it's not that I didn't want what they have or that I was making fun of them. It just kind of struck a little bit of angst inside of my gut when I heard people talking about this happiness. There was a little bit of me that thought that they were trying to like be posers, you know, like act like they were so freaking spiritual, you know. And so there was a little bit of angst in there for me, but I really think the angst came from, you know, why can't I have that? What's wrong with me that I can't have that? And and, and the crazy part about it is the instructions for how to get that in the big book are so simple. I mean, it, you don't have to climb Mount Everest and sit in the lotus position and meditate to find God in AA. You literally have to read a few pages, sit with your sponsor, have him explain to you these are the instructions. You know, when you read Bill's story, now you need to tell your story, just like Bill told his story. What happened to you? What was your abnormal drinking like? What was your allergy like? How did your life become unmanageable? That's Bill's story. Bill's story is also of recovery, but I don't have that yet. And then when I get into chapter two and we start talking about the obsession, you know, in chapter three where we're talking about, you know, how our brain always convinces us that we'll drink again the whiskey and milk and the guy, you know, wanting the highball before dinner, you know, the suddenly the thought crossed my mind. The answer to this stuff is very simple if I'll get a sponsor and listen to them and follow the instructions. So it's people in AA, much to my surprise, and even though you know I'm coming up on 30 years sober, it still surprises me that people in AA have found such a simple way to feel good about life.
1: Um, so as you can tell there, I was taking some notes uh, because... Uh, you you are able to come up with some gems. All right. So oh, the other thing you know, this is completely going off track now. Good. I like that. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about Maine and about how that's kind of your second spiritual home or you know, your your second home if you will, yeah. and how much that has meant to you and uh, and and you just got back from there, right? Yeah. And you go up at least once a year. Why don't you talk about your relationship with the state of Maine? And for those of you up in Maine, you're going to know some of these areas he (laughs) talks about.
0: For sure. So my dad was raised in the Oxford Hills area of Maine. It's it's in the mountains near where Poland Springs is. That's the drinking water. It's about 20 minutes from there in Norway, Maine. And I went there every year as a kid. All the way up until high school. And then it became sporadic because I became an awful, horrible drug addict. And I think my parents didn't want to spend that kind of time with me, frankly. You know, I would go up there and just get drunk and act like an idiot. And so there were a few years there where I didn't go. Uh, but my grandparents were there. They had a, a, lake, a family lake house. And then my grandfather was the dentist in town on Main Street. And my dad moved to Texas when, before I was born because he knew that there wasn't enough patients in Norway, Maine to sustain a practice. And Dallas was a booming city. And that's how I ended up being born in Dallas. So what, what happened that I think... So I thought I had a bad dad. You know, and what has happened as I've gotten older and older is I've realized that I really had a wonderful father, you know, and a wonderful family. You know, I was, I was really blessed and they weren't perfect and their imperfections were what made me see them as crummy parents, right? As if any parent does this thing perfectly, you know, would lose his temper sometimes in a way that was inappropriate. Uh, However, he probably didn't lose his temper inappropriately enough for my well-being because... I just held his temper against him and didn't keep in mind that you know I was setting things on fire and stealing from him <laughs> and doing all the things that I did as a little kid. I mean, I was a pretty bad kid and it's funny because Sarah is is quite a bit younger than me and she's getting to that place with her 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 dad in particular but certainly both her parents where she's realizing what great parents she had. And I think part of it is you don't get to know it Great parents you have until you get old enough to realize how hard it is to be a parent when you're really just a person who has no idea what they're doing. You know, you can't read enough books. And again, I don't read books like that, but I mean, you just can't prepare yourself for what kids put you through. So, what does that have to do with Maine? I discovered. And I was thinking about this today. There's a picture that uh, my ex-wife took when we, when we split up that I want to have remade for me. And it's a picture of the road that leads up to my grandparents' cottage. It's no longer in our family. My cousin's gotten got in a fight and sold it. And, and anyway, we don't own it anymore. But one of the last times I got to be with my mom before she got very ill from the cancer she had, and we knew she had cancer, we, she came to Maine. And this was my dad's family's home. And she came and we all stayed at my grandparents' cottage. Uh, my stepdad and my mom and my dad even came up for a few days and stayed, in a, he always stayed in a hotel. Um, and we spent time together and one of the last times, and I used to go on walks with my mom all the time. One of the last walks that I took with my mom, um, before she was no longer able to walk, was down this road. And so I have a tremendous emotional connection to Maine. And so I hope one day to spend four or five months a year there, um, obviously the good months, like May to <laughs> October, um, and then spend the rest of my time in Texas when I'm old enough and have you know whatever if it's possible. Um, but the reason I go there every year is every time – I pull into Norway, Maine. Um, I have a sense of family. I have a group there. It's called the We Ain't Right group. It meets Monday through Friday at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock on Saturday mornings.
1: (laughs) Did I go to that? You did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's a wonderful group, and I have friends there. And every time I walk into the meeting for the first time, it's a homecoming. It's like Norm walking into cheers. And it's just great. You know, I just have a really wonderful recovery story there. And, you know, I also have a drug addict story there, you know, because I acted out there. My little brother, who's deceased now, had some, had a couple of really bad episodes there of taking so many pills. And, um, so I've kind of seen it all in Maine the good, the bad, and the ugly. But most, I think most of the damage of my life, the damage, particularly of my disease, even some of the most of the damage that I have done in recovery, um, in my personal life, and mistakes that I've made have just been healed, you know? And when I go to Maine, I really experience that healing. You know, No one else in my family really gets it. My sister has been coming with me the past couple of years. And before she started coming with me, we spent like four or five days alone together. And we'd never done that before. This, is the, this year was the second year we've ever done that. And I really think she has started to experience what I've been experiencing all these years. She kind of wondered, why do you do this? We could get a lake house in Wisconsin where I live. It looks the same. They have loons. Uh-huh. But it's not the same. Because mm. that's where the roots of our family are, and that's where my childhood was. And and so I I believe, you know, I, when I go there, I go visit my dad's grave, you know, and my grandparents' grave. It's up on a hill above the lake, and, and we always take flowers. So it's just a real personal place for me. You know, it's a healthy place for me.
1: I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about your... Uh, you're a, a big part of your job at least uh we've taught we have briefly talked about this in the past but you own well you have two main sources of income i i believe right yep. one is your
0: uh what, what do you tell people you do okay so my career has been in the wholesale bridal business um i basically uh, a ragman, I'm a manufacturer's rep for it's been a couple different major companies. Uh, I've been with the same one now for eight years now. What do one, they call
1: it a ragman
0: Ragman guy traveling salesman who drives gotcha. around in his yeah. car? We don't carry dresses anymore. We just use iPads with pictures, yeah. but yeah, I travel around a territory. I go to markets. That's why I went to the mustard tea group. I go there maybe once a year because it's not far. It's the closest mm-hmm. meeting in the loop in Chicago mm-hmm. to where I stay for my markets. And I go to markets there. I go in Vegas, Atlanta, Dallas, sometimes New York, not very often anymore. And, uh, so I, that is the primary my career. Um, I also, uh, my son and I and Sarah operate a jewelry company, um, oh. that we import jewelry and veils and belts, um, from overseas, higher end stuff. And, uh, so I do that. And then gosh, in 2000, and, 18 I guess. So I've been sober a long time now. I got sober in my when I got sober I didn't have kids and now I got grandkids, okay? I got sober <laughs> and when I got sober I finally gave into people kept telling me I needed to go to sober living, right? That living with my cool beautiful alcoholic girlfriend or with my parents, that these may work out for some people, but it wasn't working out for me. I kept relapsing and relapsing. I wasn't getting established. And I finally went into a sober living uh, back in 1992. And I stayed there for about I think about seven months. Did they call them? It halfway was
1: halfway houses. No,
0: the, well, a halfway house is different. That's for people coming out of prison. Uh, this is for people in early recovery. Many of them come from treatment. Some of them come from detox. Some of them just like me because I didn't come from either of those. I finally had enough of relapsing, and people had suggested that to me enough that I said, "Okay, I'll go." I
1: had just I'm never like, y- y- as you know, I've been sober for a while too, and and I remember hearing about halfway houses all all the time but it's just recently over the last 10 years I've started to hear that term sober living yep. so I did does that mean was there some sort of
0: shift along the way or is it just always been called so, something else so what's happened in the world of recovery business and there, this is a part of the recovery business and I want to be very clear that I keep this very separate from my recovery life and I can uh, vouch for that I do I don't talk about it at my group I don't I don't I certainly don't sponsor people who live at the house I try to be an example to the guys that live there but I do believe that it is within the traditions you know it says you know uh, we do hire alcoholics if we would hire non-alcoholics for this job and I cannot imagine why any non-alcoholic would even think about having a sober living, okay? So we have the sober living because my experience, and I didn't stay sober in sober living. I relapsed in my sober living one time, and then I moved out of my sober living and I relapsed two more times. But the time that I was in sober living was very eye-opening to me. There was a guy that lived in the house, his name was Frank, and he I, I think he'd been through a bad divorce, and he had come to live at this sober living. It was an Oxford house, so it was very inexpensive, maybe 100 bucks a week. Um, no management, the, the the inmates run the asylum kind of situation, group conscience, it's based... Anyway, so I watched Frank, because Frank was sober like 18 years, and of course, when I was not able to stay sober a year, that seemed like an eternity, right? Like, no one stays sober that long. And I watched Frank go to meetings every day. I watched Frank sponsor people. I watched Frank take his recovery seriously. And I realized that if Frank has to do this at 18 years, I sure as heck better know that I got to do it. So when I finally was ready to get sober, um, I started to sponsor people very quickly. And when I would have people who just were like living with their parents, because I was pretty young then, so I had a lot of young sponsees then, um, and they would, I would say, you know what, I, I went to Sober Living and it was super helpful helpful to me. Here's the number for Oxford House. Because they're all over the place. And at that time, there weren't a bunch of sober livings. There were Oxford Houses, right? And the treatment centers might own what they call transitional living, which may be what you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. What's happened, I think, over the past 10, 15 years is the statistics of people who comes out of treatment. And stay sober just going to 30 days of treatment are so unbelievably bleak. Yeah. And when people will go to sober living for four to five months, it multiplies the statistics by 10. Gotcha. And so- If for no other reason, and I believe that treatment centers are run by people who care about people. I'm not saying that the investors who own the treatment centers want anything more than a return on their investment. I guess that depends on the ownership. But the people who work in treatment centers are typically people who are in recovery. That's why they're involved in it. And they want what's best for the people for their just so they can feel good about what they're doing you know? And so most of the treatment centers that I'm aware of, when you get out of treatment now, they say to you, hey, I know that you want to go back with mom and dad, or I know you want to go straight home to your wife, but you've done that before and it hasn't worked. Why don't you try sober living? And I, as a sponsor with guys, as I've gotten older, I have had more and more guys that I've said to them, hey, listen, you know, I know you love your wife, I know you love your children, but if you keep going back home and relapsing, eventually it's just going to destroy it. Why don't you try going to sober living? And so what I began to notice as I got into my 40s and now my 50s and my sponsees got into their 40s and 50s, is the sober livings in the area were all for a lot younger people. Mm -hmm. They were 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds, and I would send my 45-year-olds, I wouldn't send them, but I would say, hey, try this place, and they would go, and they're like, dude, I can't live with a bunch of 20-year-olds. And so we made a sober living for guys who are older. The average age at our places is probably 40 to 45. Um, and, and you would think, well, they're more mature. Well, Typically what it means is you've got a lot more hardened and alcoholic coming to our (laughs) house. But the fact is, is that most of the guys there, and it's been really awesome for me to just be a part of, is I see men who are in their 50s and 60s who haven't had healthy relationships at home with other men for their entire lives. Like literally never, like the closest thing they ever came to living in a healthy environment with men was their fraternity where they were getting drunk and wasted and doing God only knows what. I come into the house and there'll be six guys sitting around the table having dinner who just got back from a meeting. Or I'll come to the house and there'll be two guys outside cooking while three other guys are sitting on the couch in the living room watching the Mavericks. And I, I've i left the house crying because I cannot believe that we have created this environment Really, God created. We just bought furniture, you know, we base it on the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. We do not shoot our wounded. If people relapse and they genuinely show a desire to try harder, we let them come back, not drunk, but we let them come back once they've sobered up. We want people to get better. And I think that I know a lot of people now in this. This business, for lack of better words, and I can tell you that most of the people, all of the people that I'm friends with, who also own these type of homes, yes, there is the investment aspect. It costs me a lot of money to open these houses. I constantly have to spend a lot of money to keep them up and keep them going. And so there is a profit motive involved. So it is a business. It's not my recovery, but it also provides a place for these guys to go where they can feel safe and and get better before they go home where their buttons are going to be pushed left and right. The most, What I have discovered is that the most loving family, particularly moms of men, no matter how much they love them, no one can push a man's buttons like his mother and probably his wife. And I'm just telling you my observations. And when they can come somewhere and get away from that and slowly ease themselves back into that situation, Mm -hmm. we've had just unbelievably wonderful stories to tell about people who spent decades just in and out of the program, unable to get better, who now have two, three, four years sober, are back with their families or have started new families on the solid ground of recovery. And I, I mean, I I could not, I, I'm not going to use, I, I know the word proud is an ugly word, but I'm proud that I've been able to keep my hands off of it enough that it has been able to have God's hands, you know, in control.
1: And so I want you to go ahead
0: and uh,
1: David and I, we, there's no... Uh, affiliation, connection here. There's no money being made, but I but I, I believe in what you do and I see the guys who are in your home and how they progress and how they've done much better. Uh wh- why don't you go ahead and tell people what your, your website is?
0: Oh yeah. It's Frisco dot com.
1: So Frisco F R I S C O Soberliving.com. Yeah. And that is for Uh, if you're in the North Texas area or you're, if you want to
0: live in the Frisco area, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, we have two houses in Frisco and, um,
1: and they're all for men, right? They're
0: all for men. And the youngest age we'll take is 26, but the average age is really 40 to 50.
1: And you have thought about opening a third one for For, women. women. My
0: wife got sober and sober living, um, Mm Uh, and she really helped me. Sarah was unbelievably helpful with this because she knew more about, there's a difference between Oxford House and this because this is managed. There's someone there all the time who runs the place, right? Where the Oxford House is kind of run like an AA group. And so Sarah really helped connect me with people who could help me like, avoid some of the pitfalls, help me set up the rules and stuff. Um, and she has wanted to do a sober living for women with babies, and we may do that. It's just mm-hmm. been a very tough time to do that. She has a very big career completely outside of recovery mm-hmm. and she's super crazy busy. And obviously she would have to do this. I mean, it's not that I don't have the self-control to deal with women and I would be inappropriate, I don't think. It's more, I think it's very much like a right. and I, I don't I've not I'm not gonna say I've never sponsored a woman because I have, but I think women with women and men with men probably is not a bad thing to consider. And so until she's ready to do it, um, we're gonna wait for her to be ready. Understood.
1: Okay, so I have a subject here that I think I want to wrap this up with. And I've heard you talk a lot about it in meetings lately. It's kind of a a redefined uh definition of insanity. <laughs> and what I mean by that is in, in, so I'll let you do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I know like, exactly what you're talking okay. about. So why don't you go ahead and explain <laughs> to people like there's the traditional everybody goes to the uh doing the same thing over and over and right right so why don't you explain that
0: yeah so i went to AA from 1987 to 1993 um i went to meetings daily sometimes two and three a day from april of 1991 through september of 1993 when i finally asked a sponsor to sponsor me who talked about working the steps um i looking back i don't know that it was ever conscious but I can tell you that I always had sponsors who really didn't ask me to do very much. And if they did, were not really concerned if I didn't. And so what I've been talking about lately, and I don't know why in particular, you know, we just had a former resident of the Sober Living who just... Would not grab onto the program a man in his sixties and he died on Monday, um, from an injury from falling down drunk, which he had done multiple times already. And it, it was a, it was an exasperation of the previous falls and the previous, previous head trauma that he'd had. And, uh, you know him. We won't mention his name on this, but in, and so when you're an alcoholic, and you're around family or friends or business associates, and, and they hear that you've drank. It's in the big book. They talk, how could he do that? He has such a beautiful wife. Wouldn't he do it for her? What about his children? You know, all of these things that normal people would say, man, that's insane. That's just crazy that that guy with, he's, he's going to go to prison for 20 years if he gets, passes a dirty UA. And here he, he's smoking pot. That's insane. And that is insane. There's no question. But to me, the insanity that blows my mind is a person who's completely dry from alcohol, going to meetings all of the time who is not working the 12 steps from the big book. So I went to AA, a program that is solely based on the big book is practically a textbook people carry it to meetings with long-term sobriety. Their books are highlighted. They they quote the big book. They read from the big book. They talk about meeting with their sponsors and sitting down and going through the book and reading the book page by page and following the instructions, instruction by instruction. And I went to AA from 1987 to 1993, was an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous, relapsing every three to four months, and never worked the 12 steps from the big book. And it did not even occur to me that 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 could be the problem until the day I got sober. And that was what God finally knocked me over the head with a hammer. I guess he just said, David, you are just too dumb to get this. And while I was sitting there with that knife stuck in my arm, the morning I got sober, the thought went into my head, I have never worked the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous from the big book. And I got my depressed, miserable butt off off the couch and made the commitment that I was going to get one of those big book thumpers to show me how to work the steps, and I have been sober ever since.
1: Love it. That was fun. As you know, we talked a little bit about what we were going to discuss on the front end of this, yeah. and we never
0: got there. No. But I, <laughs> that's what I we all said said we were going to try to be a little more wheels off than usual. So. <laughs> Oh, that
1: was fun. All right, so I know everyone's going to enjoy this. Okay, I'm going to read from page 164 of the big book. And that way you can go uh, uh, get your pedicure without the girls today. (laughs) And uh, I'll let you out of here. Okay, page 164 says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the capital F, Fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and David G., hopefully, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Oh, and one other thing I do want, I just forgot about this. You are going to be speaking at the, what's the name? And I'm going to go up there as well. They asked me possibly if I want to record it. I haven't heard back from the guy yet, but we're, but you're going to. It used to
0: be called Singles and Sobriety. Now it's called.
1: Miracles at Lake Murray. Miracles on Lake Murray. Okay. So it's the weekend
0: after Labor Day. So whatever that weekend is, it's the weekend after Labor Day weekend. Okay, so I will
1: oh, I just got to remember to put the link in the show notes. Okay, so I'll put the link in the show notes for this particular conference. David David will be there. He's going to be the Saturday night speaker. Um I'll be there. A lot of our friends, a lot of people that you know from the Frisco group that have either been on the podcast or just, you know, it's just It's going to kind of be
0: a little podcast reunion, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Come on down. Yeah. So, you know, if y'all wanna come there and hear David speak on Saturday night,
0: I wonder if they'd let us do like a live sober speak is one of the things.
1: I don't know. That would we be can super cool. We can Yeah, we I could interview not only you but the other uh, attendees as well. Yeah, You're the, just do uh, it the, on the the other speakers. Side. Yeah, 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 I could take them out. Yes, I'll bring my, you know, I'll bring this mic and a little bit of recording equipment. We could get something going.
0: Are you going to walk around like a reporter and go, <laughs> this is John Mike?
1: <laughs> okay, so what is the uh, the dates again? It's, it's September. I'll find it. September. He's getting out you, his calendar
0: right now. It's the weekend after Labor Day, which would be... And it's called...
1: Oh, and just so people don't... So it's the
0: weekend of September 8th. September 8th. Okay. So uh,
1: the weekend of September... Oh, and people don't know where that is. I'm sure Lake Murray. Most people listening to It's in Southern Oklahoma. It's in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Yeah, right
0: right on a 75. You can go to the casino if you feel like gambling. (laughs) Stay away from the dispensaries.
1: So yeah, it's in Ardmore, A-R-D-M-O-R-E, Oklahoma. And hopefully we'll get to see some of you there. Um, what else did I want to say about that? That's about it. Um, all right. Um, I think I'm done. Anything else you want to say?
0: Oh, this was good. Yeah. I needed this today. Thank you. Yeah, me too. God bless you.
1: As Always, my friend, David G delivers the goods. Thank you so much, Mr. David. And once again, remember that the link, if I remember to do this, the link for the conference that David is going to be speaking at will be in the show notes for this episode episode and uh it would be i'm i'm i think i'm gonna be there too and uh, anyway it would be great to see you all if you can come out like i said david is the featured speaker on saturday night and that is miracles at Lake murray in, uh, in oklahoma and it's september something i don't know just go to the website look it up Chris writes in, by the way, I'm going to get through this because you know why? Uh, I'm going to be going out to dinner with my son tonight, and I am looking so, so forward to that. I, I, I tell him all the time that, when I go out to dinner with him, it just like I could take, like like I'll have a really full day of work, like work, work, not this kind of work. This is my avocation, if you will, not my vocation. I'll have a really tough day at work, lots of things going on. I'll be stressing and I will go out to with him and it just kind of, <sighs> I take a deep breath and it relaxes me and I'll tell him every time we go out, you know what the best day, you know what the, the best part of my day was? And he'll say, Going out with me. I said, You got a little buddy. Anyway, now onto a little bit of a listener feedback here on the Sober Speak. Chris writes in, he says, Hey, John, it's Chris. H, I messaged you, I messaged you through your app after I got out of jail in June. I just got out of treatment and moved to an Oxford house. Good for you, Chris. He said, I wanted to say thanks again and ask if you could tell me how to get in touch with Marty C. I've always thought the step should be more or more of an organic experience and should be completed the first trip as expedition oh expediently as possible marty says a lot of what i think in a much clearer way than i can yeah for me too chris he says anyway what an amazing platform you have and please know that you and sober speak were an intricate part in helping me get back to sobriety forever grateful chris h and chris Good for you, my friend. And as you know, I copied you on an email to Marty. Uh, Godspeed. Uh, Hopefully, uh, you guys get in touch with each other soon. David writes in and, and David says, hi, John. I've been booze free since January 28th of 2014, but oh here's the butt. But I went out on the marijuana maintenance program for a few times. I get it. There's a lot of people who do that, David. He says, I've been completely sober since July 16th of 2018. I don't remember the names of many of the speakers that I've listened to on your podcast. And to be honest, you are the part of the podcast that resonates with me. Your intros are fun. (laughs) Well, thank you, David. I appreciate you. He says, I found Sober Speak by scrolling through Apple Podcasts, and I searched for AA-related podcasts, and there it was, David. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it, and God bless you, and uh, keep on keeping on, my friend. Melissa writes in, and Melissa says, hi, John. I am almost 52. I have four grandkids, and excuse me, I have four kids and one grandson. I was diagnosed with stage four cirrhosis of the liver. I started drinking when I was 16, minus the times I was pregnant. I need support because this has been a tough week for my sobriety. I was doing great, not even thinking about alcohol. Then my brother-in-law committed suicide. My husband is also an alcoholic, however, he just drinks beer in front of me. That does not bother me at all. I found your Facebook group by doing a search, and I was having a hard time, Melissa A. Well, Melissa, I'm glad you found our Facebook group. Post anything that you need to post in there. It's a great group of folks, and just as a reminder, if you're out there and you're not part of it and you want to be... Search for the Sober Speak secret group on Facebook, and we will get you admitted into the group. God bless you, Melissa. I'm sorry about that hard week. Gloria writes in, like Gloria, but with an L, or without the G, maybe I should say. Anyway, she says, ho, John. I think she means hi, John, but she could be calling me a ho. I don't know. Anyway, she says, I live in Moscow, Idaho, (laughs) and I just moved here at the beginning of November from Kamiah, K-A-M-I-A-H, I'm assuming that's probably another part of uh, Idaho, who knows, ooh, Moscow, I think that's that place where they had been in the news lately with like a, anyway. Uh, I digress. Uh, She says, I've been in recovery for four years and four months. I volunteer at the local recovery center and I want to be a recovery coach because I want to share my experience, strength, and hope as a way to quote, pay it forward. The blessing and unwarranted gift I was given when I found recovery. I actually ran across SoberSpeak while checking my Facebook messages. I was invited to another Sober site and this one spoke to me. Honestly, I haven't had the uh, opportunity to listen to any of the speakers. However, I'll make it a point to check them out this weekend. Loria. Well, Loria uh, also found us through, we've got a lot of people finding us through Facebook recently, and I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, the community is large and in charge in there, and I'm glad that uh, uh, everyone is in there to support each other. Uh, You know, I go in there every once in a while, not every day or anything like that, but I, you know, a lot of people are in there posting a lot of good information, like where to find meetings, uh, where some, uh, where some meetings are coming up. Uh, uh, we have people that get real honest in there about where they are in their journey and what's going on. You know, I'm five days sober. I'm six days sober. And then there's people that are celebrating 30, 40, 50. No, I don't know if I've seen any 50, but I know I've seen in the 40s. But anyway, there's a lot of activity in there. And uh, uh, thank you for writing in, Loria. I appreciate it. So I just started singing that song in my, ha- my, my head. You know that, Gloria, you know, I, I want, I bet you, i can't be the only idiot ever to sing gloria to you Um, but who knows maybe i am the only idiot Uh, but anyway thanks for writing in katie writes in and she says hi john big exclamation point i live in Harrington, Delaware. I've been sober a little over four months. My sober date is 3323. I'm 44 and a retread to the rooms. I identify with you when you talk about trying a few times before you got it. You're right. It was three years in and out. Three years. Um, I am at that point now, I realize I cannot drink like a normal person and never will be able to. My life is a big, blank, big black Blank spot when I drink, and I know I am not meant to, nor do I want to live that way. I work in pest control, so I spend a lot of time on my own, either treating my customers' houses or businesses or driving. I actually have several jobs that are large and take quite a while to complete. I was listening to different true crime or biographical podcasts. And once I got sober, my sponsor recommended looking for sober podcasts, being my OCD self, I can understand that Katie. She says, I had to start at the very beginning episode and I'm working my way through to the present. I'm currently part way through uh, the year 2020. I would have to say my favorite speaker so far was one of the first ones I heard. Sumera. Yeah, if you haven't heard Sumera, I would definitely go back and listen to that one for those of you who hadn't heard her. Or even if you've heard her, go back and listen to her again. She's great. She said, I loved hearing her story and the way she told it. There is also a speaker I heard on there recently, and I believe it was a man that said something along the lines of, We are angels with only one wing. And the only way we can fly is to hold on and help one another. I love that thought. Thank you providing, for providing me this amazing recovery tool uh, I've loved to use. It's really helped me focus and, and still my mind and also lets me know that I am not alone. Katie. Well, thank you, Katie. And I, I tell you what. If you're coming up on one of them roaches right now, or one of them rodents or whatever, and you just spray them, and you say, sober speak to you, sober speak to you, or whatever. I'm, I don't know. That doesn't even make sense. I'm so sorry, Katie. But uh, uh, anyway, I'm glad you're, I'm glad we were able to spend some time together as you are out doing your job, and God bless you. Thank you for writing in. John E. writes in. Oh, that's like Johnny. Uh, you know, that's what they—that's what my name was basically when I was, yeah, like the first eighteen years of my life, and then I got all sophisticated, right, and went to John. But anyway, John E, we'll just call you Johnny. Johnny writes in and he says, "Hey, John, I was listening to a story the other day, and a fellow of ours told a story that involved being kicked to death by a thousand rabbits." <laughs> Does that ring a bell to you? Because I'd like to go back and listen to that story again uh, and give it another listen. Thank you, John E. Johnny, four uh, one of 2019. I do remember that quote, being kicked to death by a thousand rabbits, but I'm sorry, John, I do not remember who it was that said that if you're out there and you're listening to this and you remember who it was and you want to send me an email to john j-o-h-n at soberspeak.com i'll pass it on to uh, john e and let him know um it, it is it's much easier than going back to listen to every single episode we've ever put out right <laughs> Uh, thanks, Johnny, for writing in. Johnny. Ben writes in, he says, Hi, John, I have been sober for just over four months, and that is completely due to the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous and its fellowship. I'm so happy to say that I am firmly in the middle of the boat, attend regular meetings, and I have a sponsor and sponsees, and do the suggested things. I live in the county of Wilshire, or Wilshire, in the United Kingdom. I came across the website whilst researching the benefits of 90 and 90, which I did, and as I'm looking to help a new sponsee, I just, I don't know what it is, but I love that word, whilst, that they use in both the UK, Australia, New Zealand. I'm sure they use it other places, but it's just a cool word. Uh, But anyway, he says, I haven't heard any of the speakers on the podcast yet, but I'm looking forward to it, Ben. Well, Ben, I hope you found what you were looking for on the website, La Sobre Speak. And uh, I hope you find also what you're looking for when you start listening to the speakers. Thank you so much. Daniel writes in he says hi john m i stumbled past your podcast upon your podcast about aa and i wanted to add some recovery content to my facebook feed i think he's going the facebook route again i live in canada and i've been on a journey of recovery for five years and one month so far i've found I've, I've found the speakers on sober speak quite relatable and inspiring i appreciate the service that you provide and your prop podcast in gratitude daniel h will gratitude right back out at you mr daniel h i appreciate you writing in Finally, last but not least, uh, we have uh, Angelo writing in. And Angelo says, hi, John. Gosh, I wish my name was something like Angelo. Like like I've just got plain old John. Angelo would be very, very cool. Oh, in fact, I'm not going to say his last name, but his last name starts with V, and uh, it's cool too, but... I'm just playing, old John M. He says, Hi, John. This is Angelo V. I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous from the Eugene slash Springfield area of Oregon. Does every state have a city named Springfield in it? I, there are so many Springfields. But anyway, uh, he says, I'm a year and a half sober and on my second attempt, I'm tired of getting sober Oh, I've tried getting sober once before in my early 20s, but it didn't stick. I really, I didn't really accept the spiritual solution being on my, uh, being my only option. Uh, As soon as life got a little better, I was out the door thinking self-knowledge would be the answer. It wasn't too long before the restless, irritable, and discontent nature of my disease had me screaming for a drink. This is a very common story, Angelo. Unfortunately, he says I white knuckled for a little bit, but eventually I relapsed. I came back to the program about four and a half years ago, but wanted to do it my way, uh, and I was smoking pot on the side, rationalizing it as a necessary as necessary for chronic pain. A year and a half ago, I reset my sobriety date and got honest with the AA community and the difference in my growth in the program has been noticeable and miraculous. I love listening to speakers that you have while I'm driving around at work. It helps me get grounded in the principles of AA and maintaining a positive attitude. Recently, I looked up your podcast specifically because you had a couple of episodes with Jimmy D and he's going to be speaking at the local AA conference Summerfest that we have coming up here in August, Angelo, thank you, Mr. Angelo. I appreciate you appreciate you very much, as we say down here in uh the south anyway, um now it is time to go have that dinner with my wonderful, most amazing son and uh so I'm gonna get on out of here as I say every week. If I try to remember what I say every week, uh, what do I say? Uh, Keep coming back. It works if you work it. May God bless you and keep you until then. And you know that I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week, but God only knows. And I hope we see some of you in uh, Oklahoma uh, when uh, David is speaking at that conference. Adios, amigos. Oh, you know I got a text from my... (laughs) I got a text from my friend, Casey, today. <laughs> and he says, your Spanglish is off the charts. And I don't think that was really like a compliment. <laughs> I think mean, he's just saying, I don't even know which episode he was listening to. I'm sure he was listening to one of the more recent ones. But uh, anyway, uh, adios, amigos. Uh, we'll see you next semana, most of likely. Samana's weak, right? I think it is. Oh, and I know La Cucharacha. By the way, I was singing that at the beginning of this episode, La Cucharacha, and I'm pretty sure that it means cockroach, but I'm not completely sure. I just know it was a song and the song popped in my head. God bless. Love you guys. Bye-bye.